Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Christian Herman, Executive Director of Mind Body Medicine at Blue Shield of California, and your host for this episode of Healthy Dose of Dialogue podcast. Joining me today is Jeremiah Aha. Jeremiah is the Assistant Director of Wellness Together, a national nonprofit that partners with schools and school districts to provide mental health services for K through 12 and college students across the country. Jeremiah is a licensed professional clinical counselor. He has worked with youth and families since 2001 and now helps to lead a team of mental health clinicians partnering with school districts and universities to provide mental health services on school campuses or online. In this episode, we'll get Jeremiah's perspective on youth mental health, the pandemic's impact on mental health, and how providers and caretakers can support our youth. I'm excited to be talking with you today, Jeremiah, and really appreciated getting to know you and participate in the Student Mental Health Wellness Conference that your organization hosted a few weeks ago. So thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, Jennifer. It's good to see you again. And I've just been really excited to connect with someone that's passionate about a topic like this on supporting our students and families, especially during this time. So let's go ahead and jump in. Supporting mental health especially youth mental health is so important today. Um, what led you to your current role and more broadly, your passion about youth mental health services? Yeah, well, it definitely, just as a warning, it definitely wasn't a straight path to being a therapist and then the role that I'm in here. But quickly, a quick snapshot, from kindergarten to senior year, I went to about a dozen schools. And every nine to 12 months, there was transition for my family. And it's pretty hard to find your place in the world, to find your voice in the midst of um, chaos and, and transition. And actually ended up finding roots just outside of Sacramento at a suburb of Rockland. And uh, after graduating and, and um, kind of pursuing a career, I actually ended up involved in coaching and then helping out with youth camps and summer camps and found my way serving students and families, uh, middle school, high school students in a, a church ministry setting actually is kind of where things began. Marlon Morgan, our executive director and founder, actually we were friends in high school and so we stayed connected as uh, good friends do after high school and into college and when I was out you know pursuing a theological degree he was down south in Southern California pursuing his master's in psychology and he um, around after I came back said you know you really make a great therapist I said, I, I, can't, I can't go to any more school. Um, that's really not in the cards. I don't think um, that would be a good career move. And so I began to juggle quite a few hats and thankfully got some great experience, which has led to my role today. But it wasn't until about 2015 that we again had a heart to heart. And he wasn't pushy, he wasn't, um, but he was definitely convincing and said, hey, this is something that I'm doing um, with students. And I, I think you'd make you know, a great, have a great spot on the team for this. And so that's where I began, began serving in schools as a mental health specialist and began to help grow and support and expand our team. And then in 2019, we began the Blue Shield of California Blue Sky Initiative. So I had a chance to, to help lead that. And we'll talk more about that later. But that's kind of the, the twisted turning path that led me here. And I think the through line is, you know, really wanting to be able to be that person and have others be that person for students that, that maybe are going through, through some of the same struggles and challenges. So why don't we start with Wellness Together? 
Um, tell me a little bit more about it, how it began, and its current strategies to help children and teens. You know, Marlon was in uh, graduate school and then began to serve in a, a district here in Northern California as a school counselor. That was in the early 2000s and actually began a program that looks very much like the one that exists today within a school district and really, you know, advocated for his students and families there. His first day on the job, and I think this is very important to, to mention and to kind of tell our origin story because this passion and, and this ethos still extends today. So day one on the job as a school counselor, he had 750 students that were under his care. And it was just him. He didn't have a team of people. It was just him, right? And so um, that, is, that is quite a bit. That's you know, three times the national average from the American School Counseling Association. And so really it was, it was his vision to see like these students, yes, they need academic guidance. Yes, they need their schedules changed. But oftentimes, particularly when we're going through mental health challenges, those things come secondary to survival or to safety or some of the things that they're going through. And so began the program within a district, starting partnerships with uh, graduate programs to have clinicians come in. And um, then in about uh, 2016, went to a nonprofit model. So the program continued to expand. And now we are um, in the northernmost county of California, all the way to the southernmost county. So from San Diego County, all the way to Siskiyou and even on the East Coast in New York City as well. So things have really taken off and we continue to have that heart that we are there to come alongside school counselors, school administrators, um, county behavioral health, you know, others already within the community that likely already know the students and families better than we do. And we get to provide an extra layer of support, an extra tool in the tool belt for them um, to provide you know, timely access to these mental health services for students. So we can't really talk about anything these days, particularly uh, youth mental health, um, without thinking about COVID um, yes. and just the impact that the pandemic and, and everything else we've lived through has had, particularly on youth. Um, you know, certainly schools being closed, um, impacts on, you know, parents losing jobs and financial stresses, et cetera. Um, so just say a few words about how you've seen the pandemic impact youth mental health. So from the vantage point that we have now um, with years of data to look at, particularly around, you know, why students are referred and what are the gains look like that they have while participating in the program that we have existing in schools. And that is this last year was the first time that we've seen across the board from all, you know, 150 plus schools that we have the opportunity to, to serve that anxiety or worry was the top reason for referral from kindergarten to sixth grade, mm -hmm. as well as for uh, our you know, students in middle school and high school, and even um, college and university students. And it's, there's no need to go into a, you know, a long-winded explanation as to why. There's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of things to worry about. Some of our greatest fears became realized. And that, I think, extends even into the grief and loss. We've seen data you know, two and three times the numbers we have before on students that have experienced loss and just so many stories that are mental health specialists, you know, those that are on the ground there with students have just shared, you know, some of these students have, have lost multiple family members like within their home. And so to understand what they might mm -hmm. be going through is, is unimaginable, but the opportunity and really the, the gift that we have to be there for them, to walk with them during that difficult time, you know, has been, has been a real privilege. And finally, I don't think we can 
touch on this, as you mentioned, without really talking about some of the, let's just say it's some of the, the scary and, and tragic statistics that have, that have been out is, you know, just now some, some research over the past few months is surfacing on, you know, what's been happening during the pandemic. How are our students doing? You know, recently, you know, we found that the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services put out a, a survey that um, one in three students, high school students, experience, you know, feelings of hopelessness every single day for the last two weeks. Now, within the clinical world, that is what we would refer to as a major depressive disorder. On top of that, this survey also showed, you know, one in five students had considered suicide. Now, typically, we hear that one in five number of students that, you know, might be struggling with a mental health um, challenge that's impacting their learning. But now we see, you know, since the pandemic that, you know, 20% of our students, that means four plus five students in every classroom in the U.S. have considered that as an option. And um, we, we have to be there in a timely fashion for them. And that's why, you know, it has been hard work and it has been trying at times, but to know that we are there, that, you know, we are the helpers, as, uh, you know, Mr. Rogers' mom um, told them to look out for, you know, when there's, when there's tragedy, look for the helpers. So, so we get to be those individuals that are helping students that they can see that, you know, I'm taking my life isn't an option because I know that there are supports around me. There are people around me that care. There's um, whether it be teachers or coaches or you know workers within um, you know cafeteria or, or other just school personnel. They're there to support me, and so that's been great to be able to to mitigate some of these downright corrosive effects that the pandemic has placed on our students and families. Just to probe a little deeper, sort of this interconnection between the things we call social drivers of health and also things related to equity. And obviously, there's been a lot of um, focus just around, you know, um, uh, systemic prejudice and, and, um, and racism and, and, um, and just um, injustice. So sort of how, how do you see all of that interconnected into, into what you're seeing these days? And so some of the big things that we see as it relates to our work is, you know, um, Medi-Cal is a great program here in California that helps, you know, over half of students here in California are eligible for that. What we're finding is the challenges that the pandemic has placed on that and some of these great services that are available at no cost for students and families is there still is a requirement for transportation to get there. There's still a requirement for parental advocacy and having someone that, that uh, you know, is willing to sign that consent form for them and really encourage them to seek outside help. What we're finding too is maybe all those things exist, but with work schedules and as you mentioned, if, if they're living with someone else, maybe way across town and, you know, work schedules, you know, so, you know someone's working a night shift, all these things can kind of compound to where it still leaves a student who potentially could be going through one of the toughest time of their lives and not be able to really access those supports. Like the Blue Sky Initiative, which is you know, the, the multi-year um, signature initiative from Blue Shield of California, that we really have the honor um, to be the, um, the lead partner in this, to be able to provide school-based, whether it be on-site or online, mental health services for students in a timely fashion, usually within less than two days, without having to um, really encounter these barriers that, that many of our students can, um, you know, that are often experiencing. So it, that has been hopeful to see that. And I think that could be, I guess, some of the silver lining as we see some of these conversations are happening more and more. Where pre-2019, there was still quite a bit of stigma that surrounded mental health. 
so silver linings. I mean, definitely a lot of a lot of heaviness and and hard things, but there definitely um, do seem to be some silver linings from this time. So maybe elaborate a little bit more on that and how you see it. Sure, sure. So something that we saw even before the pandemic it wasn't necessarily an issue of budget, really. It was an issue of priority, and what the pandemic has done. If there is, you know, as you refer to, you know, a silver lining or a lessons that, that we've learned as a result is they've, they've kind of caused this need, this unmet need to rise to the top. And now it's right in front of them to be able to say, hey, this is a crucial, a critical need for our students and for families that, that are going through, again, some of the toughest time in their lives. And so this makes it, you know, you know goes beyond just a, a budgetary issue, but now it's how do we find the resources? How do we find the funds? How do we you know, build a workforce to be able to help our students here? And I mentioned before, I think more of these conversations are happening, you know, whether it be you know, even with us right now or even on other, you know, within you know, celebrities, you know, uh, professional athletes, you know, the Olympic stage, more and more this is something like, hey, let's talk about this. Yeah, I agree. I feel like mental health has become such a natural conversation, um, and and hopefully that has decreased stigma so that uh, individuals, and particularly youth, can 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 reach out and find those words if they're struggling. So, mm-hmm. so you mentioned provider shortages. So you know, I think it, this decrease in stigma is is wonderful, and certainly an increase in in need for mental health services. And we face a, a, a pretty severe provider shortage in terms of behavioral health clinicians. Um, so I think. You know, schools are are well positioned to play a role in that. So, let me see a little more about how schools and educational institutions. What can they do to identify when a child is in need and to assist them? Well, I think to begin, what has made it difficult, particularly in the you know 2020-2021 school year, is that school staff didn't have the visibility that they had before with students. They couldn't see that, hey, that's the third day in a row that you've worn that outfit. Or they couldn't see, you didn't used to fall asleep in class and now every day this is happening. They didn't see the the huge shifts in maybe academic performance or flat out just, um, you were always engaged and, and now not so much. So a lot of those signs that we really depend on our teachers, those that are seeing students on a day in, day out, maybe even on our coaches, um, we, we don't have that data now, I guess to put into that, to that term, we don't have that data to find out, hey, is, is everything okay? You know, what's going on, anything we can do to support? So we didn't have that at most, even, you know, we've talked to some principals that they were grateful even if the student logged on, even if they were on mute and had their camera off, you know, they likely were just, you know, rolled over and went back to bed, you know, but still there was some effort put forth and well, you know, I, I can sign on to this particular class. And so without that visibility, that has made it tough, but. But there has been ways that, you know, particularly our school counselors or school administrators have gotten creative. You know, there's some some really, really acts of bravery and courage have gone out to deliver maybe school supplies or some forms to sign or some of our you know, community partners that have left, you know, bags of groceries on the front porch. So they stay socially distanced. You know, they, they're masked and able to maintain you know, safety within that and really to let them know, you know, families you're not alone, like we haven't forgotten about you, we're doing what we can. And so schools have done a great job with that. I think schools more and more are beginning to look outside. At least that's our hope, you know, there's there's some great district um, programs that they have, you know, all across the US. And there's also some great community-based organizations that are doing good work that, you know, might have the training and, you know, some of the, the extra resources available 
to help schools during this time. No, I think you're right. It's definitely been a, an exercise in flexibility and adapting. And, um, and I know that historically, Wellness Together, most of your services or many services were provided at the school campus. So then COVID happens and people are not at the school campus. So say a little bit about how you've pivoted um, the organization and particularly use of, of telehealth. Since 2017, um, we've been utilizing um, you know, Zoom for telehealth. And that was um, to provide access. It was actually in the Bay Area in San Francisco, right in the city proper, where it can be tough on a you know a school counselor or school psych psychologist salary to be able <laughs> to afford housing there in the city, right? Or to, again, we talk about shortages of those um, clinicians that especially exist in population dense areas. So we began a partnership um, within a, a school in San Francisco and said, hey. We have some people here in the Sacramento area that can, you know, use an iPad here. We'll send you one on a stand. We'll, you know, program the iPad. It was very like, okay, again, innovation. How do, how do we do this? So the iPad was just basically a Zoom machine, which is the most unfun thing for students if all it can do is Zoom, right? We shipped that over there to them. You know, and, well, in fact, we, you know, we walked it to them, right, and said, you know, here's who you're going to be meeting with. And we began doing the program much like you see it today. So really, as far as a pivot is concerned, and again, just more out of gratitude, not of you know, pride or anything, we had basically a 48-hour turnaround, and that was really to get emails out to district officials and to school leaders to say, hey, within the agreements that we've signed with you at the beginning of the year, this does allow for telehealth if the need arises. And unfortunately, that need did arise around the world, you know, here in California around March, is when schools shut down, March of 2020. You know, we were ready to roll and really could instill that confidence within district leaders, within principals, school counselors to say, hey, we, we have a protocol for this. We have trained staff. Let's just do a little bit of training for you to help you know how can we continue the program even if we're not there on site. So that is something looking back, I think even a decade from now that I'll, that I'll be like, you know, that was such a serendipitous you know, moment that we could do that to help thousands of students in the midst of a time that we'll never forget. No, that's pretty. It's pretty amazing to be uh, to be prepared and ready to ready to jump into action. So, out of out of many schools and, and many you know students that that you have uh, served through Wellness Together, um, is there a success story that stands out for you? There sure is, and um, um, it was a few years ago, actually but it's something that I think really gets at the heart of the why that we're doing this. Uh, Marlon Morgan, again, our founder and executive director, um, we both were at a, at a school for an after-school program for elementary school students. And the community that we were in, it was a particularly under-resourced area. It was a great staff that was there and they invited us to kind of give a, uh, a talk because they had weekly talks for the students to really communicate you know, some character traits or some values to live. And so the talk that we had, I had to keep it very concrete because we have, you know, kindergarten to sixth graders that their attention span is that of a TikTok video, you know. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was very tight, so we had to be, had to be very direct and, and kind of sharing with them. And really the truth revolved around this idea. It kind of landed at you and people are the most valuable resource on earth. People are the most irreplaceable the most non-renewable, the most precious, the most precious resource on earth. And kind of just looked at the students and as we got a chance to know their names, we were hanging out with them, 
just called them out by name. Here's a handful of them and said, no one's ever going to replace you. There will only ever be one of you. And so we really landed at, you know, there's nothing that can, you can do that can make you more valuable or more worthy of connection or of friendship or of love. And there was a few of the, you know, the older students that really kind of understood and maybe that was the truth that they had heard just for the first time. And the adults, you know, they may or may not have, you know, been misty-eyed in the back. And I know I was too. And it was a bit of a silence. And then there, there was a girl that raised her hand and I'll just call her Rachel. Rachel raised her hand. She looked to be about eight or nine years old. And she said, if people are the most valuable thing on earth, why are they also the most dangerous? And I didn't have an answer for that. I did my best therapist job of validating her question and really underneath that, and likely you and you know, the listeners can hear that the home or the environment that this girl was going back to did not exhibit anything like the story that she had just heard. In fact, it was this collision of maybe the nightmare that she was living or that she had lived through to this, almost this fairy tale of like, what were the most valuable thing on earth, but also a, a story of, you know, adults hurt you or people betray you or people don't keep their promises. You know, these things that can cause heartbreak and that are downright traumatizing. And so what really fuels the work here and fuels for me personally is the opportunity to tell children, to tell young adults, high school students across the country, to tell them an alternative story, to really let them know, you know, the mental health specialist that you have a chance to meet with, this is someone where for once a week, you're gonna be able to connect with and they're not gonna judge you, they're not gonna shame you, they're not gonna condemn you. In fact, they're going to validate where you're at, they're going to support you every step of the way and they're gonna be there, they're gonna keep their promises. They're not gonna be there to inflict any kind of harm, which may be drastically different than what they've experienced in the past. So I really think about that probably once a week, especially when it gets tough, and that is this privilege that we have to tell that alternative story, to help so many students that are in Rachel's shoes or that might soon go into Rachel's shoes later and they can know, hey, I visited with a, a counselor in middle school. I need to head back because that was a good experience. Maybe I can go on my own and now that I'm a young adult and kind of look, look for a therapist, I'm going through this tough time. So that, that definitely stays at the top, top of my mind. Wow, Jeremiah, that is a, that is a really powerful story and just hurt, hurts my heart, but also um, mm -hmm. you see the power of just like one supportive adult yes. in a child's life, whether that's a teacher or a counselor or, you know, wherever else in your life. And so um, for myself and, and hopefully for the listeners too, just to realize whatever our roles, that we, we could be that person for, for a child that, that is, is struggling. So you thank you for it. sharing that. Yes, you're welcome. So, and it definitely takes a village um, to, to focus on mental health and wellness. And so we've talked about your organization. We've talked about schools. Um, you also play a key role for the Blue Sky Initiative, and you've referenced mm -hmm. that a little bit. So um, can you say a little bit more about that and, and what you're excited about, what you've learned? Uh, a major part of my role as assistant director here with Wellness Together is the Blue Sky Initiative liaison. So I had the opportunity to connect with um, 20 of the schools that the Blue Sky Initiative funds on-site mental health services for students. 
and get to connect with those district leaders and, and, and decision makers there, as well as the California Department of Education, uh, NAMI of California, Youth Mental Health First Aid, and, and other partners along the way that are really helping to increase resilience for students and to, to increase emotional well-being for students, at least for right now, you know, throughout here in California. And so with that, it's, um, it's been great to learn. It, it's forced us and our team to really step up our game in many areas, particularly around data and some of the work, that, the great work that our mental health specialists are doing. Proud to say that our team is, is uh, created a real-time data dashboard and so, you know, district leaders and, and principals and, and school staff get to see what are the needs here on my campus that I may not be able to see, whether it be in my role or because of the pandemic, what are some of the ways that we can program and resource certain programs here within our school district to help students right where they're at. So that's been great for that. And I think what we've really, really learned, especially during the pandemic, is that trust Oh my gosh, trust has been the most valuable resource during this time and has been so impactful. And so shout out to our mental health specialists, you know, in every school, especially throughout the pandemic, they've showed up every day, you know, likely juggling their own responsibilities for their loved ones, or even, you know, if their parents there and continuing to stay committed to the mission of increasing, you know, access, awareness and advocacy for mental health. And again, as I was saying with this trust, we've been able to really increase, okay, what does it look like, not only to navigate a school environment effectively, but how do we navigate it effectively over Zoom, right? How do we not be overbearing with emails and phone calls, but at the same time, really stay connected so that school counselors, principals, district officials aren't going, I wonder how that's going, or I wonder if people are showing up, but giving them you know, weekly and sometimes even data uh, summaries on here's what we're doing, here's where the program is headed, here's how your school site is using this program. So we've really seen how valuable trust can be, which you know, within healthcare or with any business sector is so valuable, but particularly with school, because you have adults who are overseeing the livelihood of children it, is, it has really been kind of this, this superpower that we've been able to wield and just shout out to everyone involved that's been able to, to help grow that through this time. Just go a little deeper. Um, in your work, you're touching the youngest of students and also, you know, high school and, and college age students. So I imagine they're pretty distinct needs that you see, you know, between the different groups. So maybe just say a little bit more about that. Sure. So I would begin with both, and both there's gonna need for, for parents or for caregivers, gonna need an extra helping of empathy as we help guide the young ones during this time. And again, just a nod to Mr. Rogers, I think about when Oprah Winfrey, uh, remember back in the 1900s when she had that talk show? <laughs> and Mr. Rogers was on there and she said, what's the number one piece of advice you'd give to parents? And he paused in a very Mr. Rogers type way and said, uh, remember what it was like when you were growing up. And so I would encourage, you know, whether it be for, you know, teachers in the classroom or coaches or, or you know, school staff, um, community, you know, after school leaders, you know, to parents and caregivers to place ourselves in their shoes to say, what would it be like if I was nine years old going through this right now? And I didn't really understand why I couldn't go to this birthday party. I didn't really understand why this school event was canceled or why we couldn't go see you know, these relatives for this holiday. And I'm really trying to place ourselves in, into the shoes of our, of our children or for our students. And, and as to how it's exhibited, 
you know, we have um, the brain doesn't fully develop, just to dip real quick into some of the neuroscience, doesn't, isn't fully developed until our mid-20s. And so we see things like rational thought or abstract thought, particularly for kind of those kindergarten to sixth grade. This is a challenge. And so regulating these emotions of what may under the surface be uh, anxiety or fear, you know, or worry or disappointment, all of that could manifest in the same way as, you know, being irritable, being tired, um, being, you know, maybe, you know, being having a quick fuse, things like this, right? Whereas for our older students, what it may look like, and this isn't prescriptive, this is just maybe in general, is that it could look like some withdrawal, could look like um, more psychosomatic symptoms or so headaches, tight chest, some body aches as our body kind of finds a way to tell the story of what's happening emotionally. So on a broad stroke, we might see, you know, some withdrawal, but we may academically or socially from um, with our with our older students, with our youngers, we might see it more just a kind of a harder time managing some of these, what some of our therapists call with younger kids, some of these big feelings. Jeremiah, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you today, and, and thank you for just all that you do and, um, and for spending this time today to, uh, to share a little bit about it with us. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our time, Jennifer. Thank you for the work that you and Blue Shield of California is doing um, to support all Californians. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. I hope you walked away both inspired um, by what you heard and also committed to, um, to do what you can to help improve mental health for the youth in your life. To learn more about Wellness Together, visit wellnesstogether.org. Join us next time as we continue to bring you a healthy dose of insights and perspectives based on conversations with leaders who are transforming healthcare. We'd love to hear your feedback. Share your comments and let us know your thoughts by writing a review on our website at doseofdialogue.com. You can also join the conversation on LinkedIn or Twitter at Dose of Dialogue. Thank you.